0: None of these attractions are ready yet, of course, but the park will open with the basic tour you're about to take. And then other rides will come online six or 12 months after that. Absolutely spectacular design, spared no expense. Yeah, and we can charge anything we want, 2000 a day, 10000 a day, and people will pay it. And then there's the merchandise. And I can personally... Donald, Donald this park was not built to cater only for the super-rich. Everyone in the world
1: has the right to enjoy these animals.
0: Sure,
2: they will. What we'll have a a
0: coupon day or something. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Gee, the lack of humility before nature that's being displayed here um, staggers me. Well, thank you, Doctor Malcolm, but I think things are a little bit different than you and I had feared. Yeah, I know they're a lot worse. Now, wait a second. Now we haven't even seen the point where he. No, no don't let him talk. There's no reason. No, no. I want to hear a review viewpoint. I really do. Yeah, yeah, don't you see the danger? Uh, John, inherent uh, In what you're doing here Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen But you wield it like a, a kid that's found his dad's gun It's hardly appropriate to start hurling generalizations I, I, If I may um, I'll tell you the problem with the scientific power that you're, that you're using here uh, It didn't require any discipline to attain it You know, you read what others had done and, you'd, and you took the next step You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves So you don't take any responsibility For it you stood on the shoulders of geniuses uh, to accomplish something as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now you're selling it. you to sell it. Well... <laughs> I, I don't think you're giving us our due credit. Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could they didn't stop to think if they should.
1: Hello and welcome. This is Season 2, Episode 2 of the Point 10 Podcast, and today, obviously, we're talking about 1993's Jurassic Park, starring Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and Jeff Goldblum, and featuring Samuel L. Jackson before he hit it big with Pulp Fiction, and the late, great Wayne Knight. I'm Derek Gottlieb, and joining me to dissect this movie is the reunited dynamic duo of Winston Thompson and Andy Carlson. All righty. Great to see you guys yet again. (laughs) Andy, I hope you had a happy new year. Quite. Quite. Nodding doesn't really work (laughs) on podcasting, but I appreciate the effort, buddy. Winston, you too. I got a face
3: for radio.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh man! And today we get to talk about 1993's Jurassic Park, which is a movie that I do not think that I had seen in its enti- in like anything more than snippets since I was probably in high school. And
2: sure.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, is this the most jift movie? A hundred percent. So like, we we should we should get There's, clear about yeah. this right now. That like, Andy, you in particular like you only have like three GIFs that you use on Twitter and that Ian Malcolm walking up to the big pile of shit is the is, is, is the of most often. It. It's that in the clown GIF, whatever
3: it's, but, it's never not uh, uh, applicable. <laughs> sure. I also, I also love the, uh, the, the, the Sean Neal uh, dropping his sunglasses in awe. Oh yeah. Uh, sure. Also a yeah. very strong, strong GIF. Yes. But,
1: yes. Do you guys remember the first time you saw this movie?
3: Oh Jesus, do I ever! Mm. I feel like I let off first last time, Winston. So you should you should go.
2: Well, I mean, so I'll jump in then. That's 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 fine. I mean, so as I think back to the first time that I saw Jurassic Park, I mean, it was one of these movies that, I mean, it it was like one of those movies that you kind of beg to see, right? So I was young enough that. Um, You know, my parents were involved in the movie watching experience, and um, it was just like the perfect—I was just sort of at the perfect age, uh, just sort of young enough to be terrified uh, by the scary scenes, but old enough to be trusted uh, to navigate them well, relatively well. Um, And, you know, you kind of have this, you know, as a a sort of, uh, you know— uh, kid coming into adolescence, uh, as I was at the time that I that I first saw the film, you know, you kind of have this kind of holdover of that kind of earlier life fascination with dinosaurs that so many young kids have, uh, and here it was, you know, dinosaurs made made real. I mean, in the scene where you have, um, you know, uh, uh, everyone sort of t- just discovering. Uh, and you as the audience member discovering uh, that this is a theme park full of dinosaurs and they start talking about, you know, commodifying the experience and, you know, so how much are we going to charge? You know, it doesn't matter what we charge, they're going to pay it anyway. I mean, that was a commentary on all of us because, you know, we were watching this film and it felt like we were visiting this theme park of the impossible. And so, you know, as a a relatively young child watching this, I just remember, you know, going, uh, uh, I think my mother took, me uh, and a good friend of mine and i mean we yeah we were just completely completely in awe blown away uh talking about it for weeks after seeing it uh and also i've got to you know just disclose completely terrified that there was a velociraptor you know around the next corner so yeah 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 just a, a completely formative experience uh,
1: which is a completely irrational fear not necessarily because velociraptors don't exist <laughs> but because like there's nothing you can do if, if it is you can't around do the anything, of, like, right what's the I point mean, so
2: in in look, i'll just i'll just very briefly say that that sort of uh, early scene in the film where sam neill uh is talking about you know at the dig site talking about how dinosaurs uh you know sort of turned into birds and so forth and you have that that precocious kind of uh, uh jerk of a kid uh kind of you know uh you know some big turkeys right and then Sam Neill gives this this monologue about how the velociraptor finds you and he pulls out the claw and he sort of pantomimes at uh you know opening this this child and I'm sure my mother must have thought, like, what have I gotten, you know, myself into? Uh, And she was right, because those were the thoughts that I had, you know, leaving the theater. Uh, I'm not safe from velociraptors.
1: Also, just be, and not to delay Andy's formative experience too much, but on that note about that kid being like giant turkeys, I happen to live in this, like, suburban neighborhood, which is beset, plagued, even, by very aggressive... (laughs) flocks of actual wild turkeys it is not an uncommon thing oh, wow. for me to be walking my dog with a big stick in my hand because they <laughs> wow. will they will come after you and they are like literally every time i see them i'm like wow living dinosaurs it's like yeah, sure i, I watch yeah. them chase ladies down the street who are like walking <laughs> their dog it's like a, you're like whoop well, glad somebody is distracting the oh, short yeah. velociraptors, <laughs> the short, stupid, loud velociraptors. Sacrificial <laughs> <Sure>. neighbors, exactly. <laughs> hey, you like neighborliness, oh, you know? Andy, tell me about your first experience.
3: Well, I um, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm I'm just brought to mind of uh, the the famous webcomic comic XKCD, um, mm-hmm. and I think one of the one of the very first XKCD comics uh, is a it's like a like a one panel diagram of like, you know, me after watching you know the caption is like me after watching Jurassic Park and like every window and door on the house is like labeled with like a threat level for possible Velociraptor <laughs> entrance. Of course, <laughs> uh, I mean, and so <laughs> yeah, I guess just I guess what strikes me, you know, and you know as as I and I say that uh, to echo my what I'm gonna say now, uh, which is I'm just kind of flabbergasted by the degree to which my own experience of watching this movie for the first time mirrors so much of what you've said about your experience mm. Winston and what I've heard from so many other people um and I did not come into this movie uh the for, for the first time with a uh, <clears throat> so the con- in in context uh and I I guess I'll I'll <laughs> I have nothing but tangents tonight. I'm sorry, but love it. I, I can't, I cannot believe that this movie was released in 1993. I know that I just had to double check, but that was so yeah. for Derek, for you and me, that was the summer after eighth grade. Yeah, that's right. We had just, we had just finished middle school. <laughs> know, um, we were not in high school yet, you know, and I, so I, I, I saw this for the first time with our mutual friend, uh, Joseph Gifford Berry. It mm-hmm. um, was, is, is a, you know, wonderful guy. I've known him since birth. Um, we, you know, have a long, long and storied and occasionally sordid history. Um, <laughs> in middle school, we, you know, one of our, one of the kind of points of connection and our friendship was, um, well, there was uh, a powered air powered flight and aircraft. There was, uh, you know, dinosaurs, which had been a long, we had a long running debate in childhood about, uh, whether it was pronounced Diplodocus or Diplodocus, um, And uh, by middle school, we were uh, deep into the world of uh, late 80s, early 90s uh, techno thrillers. So uh, a lot of Clive Cussler. Oh, man. A lot of of Dale Brown, a lot of Michael Crichton. So I I did not go into this movie with any, you know, I I had high expectations that I was going to see some big fucking dinosaurs. Mm. And even with that, Frame set and with that expectation, that first scene where they're driving in the Jeeps and they they kind of come sure. into that open space out of the out of the forest. I levitated out of my body when that when that brachiosaurus started walking across the screen. I was right there with Sam Neil as he hyperventilated and passed out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's his character hyperventilated and passed out and had to sit down. I was out of my mind. And- um and that sense of awe persisted through the whole movie. Um, and so the, I guess the salient part talking about, you know, how my experience parallels uh, what you remember is that uh, Joe and I walked out of that movie theater, you know, both of us probably looked like we'd been run over by a truck um, emotionally speaking. And we stepped, this was at university square four in Madison, which of has course. since been torn down. Um, you know, but as we stepped out, there was some, uh, you know, half a block away, there was some loud construction noise, like a big, you know, screech or a clang or a boom. And we mutually jumped about four feet in the air because we were so primed for like dinosaur attack. (laughs) (laughs) And what I, and, and so from there we went to the Memorial union in Madison and we sat, I remember sitting on, um, sitting on the the kind of the stone terrace steps that lead down to the lake shore, uh by the union terrace and just staring at the starlings mm. and the seagulls and the pigeons and the swallows walking around because each one of them was so obviously a tiny little dinosaur. And we, it was, mm. I, like, I, I still come back to that memory. It was so such a potent experience and it, it might be my like single most powerful movie watching experience like mm-hmm. that in terms of what made the biggest impact on me. I mean, it was just earth shattering. Um,
1: that's, that's so. incredible. I, like, there's no way that I can follow that with like specific levels of detail. And to be perfectly Frank, I don't actually remember I, I remember the sort of affect that went along with seeing the movie the first time, but I don't remember the actual occasion in any of the that kind of detail, but i will I will just note that like both of you used the word awe and that was also my experience. We've talked about uh, Terminator Two uh as well here. and like mm-hmm. I feel like the build up for these two movies was similar. We knew that like something awesome in terms of industrial lights and magic was was in the offing, mm-hmm. but like Terminator Two mm-hmm. was cool. And this was something on an entirely different order that like that experience of I mean, it's done so that that whole scene is set up so well where you're focused on Sam Neill. Uh, What's really amazing on the rewatch that I don't think stood out to me on the initial kind of thing is how seldom dinosaurs are actually in the movie. Like those shots are sort of few and far between and how much work, like the cameras focus on people's faces do, or like the little tremor in the water or whatever, you know? Mm. So like, you know, they make the dinosaurs look fucking great in this movie, which is an incredible Mm. feat. Often, you know, when they're tearing what's his face apart, like it's done sort of behind a bush. So you don't like get like, sure (laughs) you don't see all the gore but you also don't have you're not responsible for the dinosaur looking great all the time but like it's incredible it's incredible and that that was my experience of seeing the movie The truly one of the most powerful movie watching experiences of my life the other big moment that i remember connected to this movie is when in the orchestra in which both Andy and I played in high school, the day they they were like, we're going to do a new piece, and holy shit, it's the Jurassic Park theme that we're doing. I was like, this is the only reason that I feel like I I have played an <laughs> instrument, is, is to do this piece. Oh, my God.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just wanted to jump in. I mean, we've got to talk about the score, certainly, but I just wanted to jump in to say that, you know, Jurassic Park is often discussed as this film that just holds up, like the special effects hold up over time. And to your point, I think, um, well, let me say, so so it's just, it exists in my mind as a film that is going to hold up. And I, you know, remember, I think I might have said when we discussed uh, Terminator 2 that, you know, there were some scenes, you know, with that T-1000 where I, where I thought, okay, well, you know, we've come a long way, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. And and I remember thinking, okay, I wonder what I'm gonna think about about you know 1993's Jurassic Park, and honestly, in the first moment that you were mentioning here, Andy, where we see the brachiosaurus, right? Um, that's probably the weakest shot of the film in terms of the dinosaur. I mean, certainly the awe is there, the wonder. I mean, uh, and some, we've, we've got to say something about how, uh, much of a master Spielberg is in capturing that sense of awe, wonder, childlike naivete and sort of, um, uh, joy. But, but looking at the Brachiosaurus there, I thought to myself, well, you know maybe this was great in 93 but you know maybe the film doesn't quite hold up as much as i thought it would uh you know watching it now here in 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 2023 but then as the film continued i thought man these dinosaurs i, I mean they, like the 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 fact that they went practical for so many of the scenes where you do have dinosaurs and uh the human actors in the same frame it just elevates the film in such a great way. And then, you know, to the point that that, that you made uh, earlier, Derek, you don't actually see the dinosaurs very often, uh, uh, you know, when they are CG. It's just kind of fleeting or it's these big wide shots or it's at night or it's in the rain or at night in the rain <laughs> or uh, there's a bush that's strategically placed. But, man, they just sort of extract every bit of quality out of uh, what they are able to do uh to kind of tell this this fully um you know fully uh, believable story i i just you know again uh on the rewatch the first scene i thought well i might not be able to 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 suspend uh disbelief but then as the film continued on i thought uh you know this could have been made uh tomorrow really yeah
1: and like it, it's so classic spielberg as well the attention to detail yeah. effects like all the all the little things that have to be exactly right, or that that are that are relatively cheap and easy to do, that create the sense of verisimilitude. The way that yeah. uh, the T Rex's pupil contracts and dilates. The way, like, that's not a difficult effect if you're going to like do that. But it's like you're like, holy shit, I'm looking it at a elevates, real thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh God, the Velociraptor's right breath breath on the glass. You know that yeah. kind of stuff. You're like, that's it. We don't have like, yes, yeah. it, it's just perfect little details that like really like maintain the illusion
3: mm-hmm. i was just those are the exactly the two shots that i was going to mention that just everything falls aside and you are looking at of a, 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 a velociraptor staring at you through that window like yeah i can't imagine just the oh it's so perfect the breath the way of fogs on the on the window you know it's I, yeah, I got giddy watching it. I was just like, "That's too cool!"
1: Exactly. It was I remember, so good. One of the one of the weird things about rewatching this uh, for me is that I had I had I had sort of forgotten what the what the plot was. I know that's an insane thing to say. Like I had forgotten how much of it is just them running away from dinosaurs and trying to like survive for like a night or like yeah. not even a night for like a <laughs> few. Like it's so that was shocking. So like but, I, I don't. But,
3: but that doesn't
1: even. Get started until the,
3: further you, you're like at the halfway mark of the movie. Yeah, at the halfway mm-hmm. mark of the movie before they even get to that part. Yeah, like such a
1: build. It is. It oh, is like sorry, not to interrupt. No, but, no, no. Yeah. I I also have forgotten. Like I I wonder if you know for my eighth grade self steeped in like Indiana Jones and whatever. I, this is just what I thought what movies were supposed to be like. But on the rewatch, there's so many things that are just super. Spielberg, including the, like, Mm -hmm. emphasis on people's facial reactions in order to, like, do a lot of that emotional heavy lifting. The moment when Laura Dern has, like, made it down to, like, switch the power back on, and she's like, oh, thank God, Dr. Arnold, or whatever, Mr. Arnold, and she turns around, and it's, like, just, like, his, like, severed arm, so you don't get, like, and I'm like, I'm like, it's an, it's, that's, like, it's exactly like a million moments in Indiana Jones where I'm like, oh, yes, it's this moment of this sort of thing, that sort of, like, uh, visual grammar of spielberg stuff just like comes through so clearly this time in contrast to a lot of the the way that other directors might have done this other later jurassic park directors not that those films exist (laughs) i I have not
3: seen any other jurassic park movies none i didn't even see the 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 direct sequel to this one that spielberg directed
2: and uh, i'm almost i'm almost entire I'm almost on the other side in that I've seen all of them except for the most recent and watching this uh, led me to start watching the most recent one because so many of the the uh, actors are back oh yeah uh, that's right yeah. Uh, for Dominion but um, yeah I've not completed it yet so I can't comment but uh, you know it's 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 not it's not Jurassic Park uh, I'll say I'll say <laughs> that I'll say that
1: what you know. an incredible cast this movie has so perfect. Yeah. so perfect. Sam Neill is incredible. I, it was a real treat for me to see him show up in Peaky Blinders randomly, like 20 mm. years later. I feel like I had hardly seen him in anything between those two things. And I'm like, I'm like, where do I know this gentleman from? Oh, of course.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, just such an iconic character. I mean, so I, I was um, on this rewatch, I just paid attention to how much Uh, He is centered in the narrative. I mean, so um, you know, so so his uh, character and uh, uh, Laura Dern's character, uh, Ellie Statler, uh, uh, and uh, Alan Grant, um, switch those two. But um, just the way in which they're they're sort of these sort of uh, professional partners. Um, and you know, romantic partners as well. Um, but he gets kind of prioritized in the story. There are just all these moments where um, I noticed uh, this time around, where he is kind of you know not doing very much, but sort of kind of ha- sort of emoting in this kind of steely, uh, manly way that uh, I likely you know, appreciated as a child and kind of perhaps uh, uh, took some notes from about, uh, you know, how to be in the world, uh, potentially. Uh, But you then see, you know, Laura Dern's character kind of, you know, in, in, in various ways, kind of attending to what he is experiencing in ways that I don't think I would have noticed as a child watching. But as an adult, I thought, well, you know, I would have loved to see more of her care. I mean she, yeah. she's she's clearly, you know, uh, a competent scientist. I mean even the invitation uh, that they get, right? It's sort of, you know, um a throwaway line. "Oh, I'd love to have you along as well. It'd be nice to have a paleo uh botanist as well." And I just thought, "Well, it's so interesting. I mean, they're a team. Uh Yeah, yeah. Ha- had you not thought about inviting her until this moment? Um so th- there is some really interesting sort of uh, to my eyes at least, some interesting gendered things to kind of uh, Mm -hmm. look at on the rewatch that I just would not have tracked earlier on. Um, And then secondly I'll just sort of, on the subject of sort of uh, my adult vision uh, of this film uh, without sort of you know, beating a dead horse. I know I previously uh, made the case that uh, Terminator uh, as a franchise is all about parenthood, but this film just seemed to me to be so much about parenthood that it uh, it feels disingenuous for me not to say it. So I've just got to say, you know, I mean, just the whole life finds a way thing and the way in which uh, the the characters of, uh, you know, Grant and Statler kind of thinking about becoming parents, uh, you know, encountering this kind of Situation of impossible life that, Mm -hmm. you know, calls their own mortality to the front of their minds. They're protecting these children, more so Grant is protecting the children, and then begins to see himself and is seen by his partner as a viable uh, parent. It's just, it's, yeah, it's just so well done.
1: Also, classic Spielberg, I want to say. Like, Alan Grant is the the classic Spielberg leading man in this. That's
2: right. That's right. The kind of like steely, a little bit absent sort of father figure, uh, who has it in him to be something more than he has been before. And through this experience, uh, you know, that, uh, that, that, that becomes evident. So, yeah.
3: The fact, you know, and this totally, uh, w- you know, as an eighth grader, that was not, uh, you know, <laughs> the emotional, uh, the narrative arc for me in this movie, uh, watching it as an eighth grader was, uh, you know surviving the dinosaur onslaught mm. um yeah watching it now as a 44 year old dude with kids i was just like what? <laughs> i thought this was a movie about dinosaurs but instead it's <laughs> alan grant learns how to be a dad yeah exactly <laughs> you know? exactly yeah.
1: That's exactly what the movie is
3: and, and you know it's like and, and it's so explicit uh you know that it's the you know when uh you know malcolm no wait not malcolm um uh, the rich guy's helicopter lands, they are yeah. in the middle of, you know, having a conversation in which he's complaining about the idea of uh, having
1: kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's, they smell, some of them <laughs> smell. It's a good line.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, at the, the, at the end, you know, these, you know, he's learned not only how to keep these two young people alive, but he's also learned how to emotionally connect with them and how to, you know, you know, enter into some vulnerability and in, in terms of yeah. relating with them and um it clearly he's gotten over some of the smell issues um <laughs> and, but it it was just so um it was just so right up front it was uh it was just a, absolutely really kind of a it was right on the edge of being off-putting uh, yeah, be exactly,
1: yeah 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 it was it was that sort of in your face i i feel like this is a, sort of a rare movie that that I feel like there's so many movies who are sort of like marketed at kids or like young adults that will also throw in jokes that like the parents will get. So it'll be entertaining for them as well. This is one of like the, the experience that I'm hearing from both of you and that I definitely also experienced on this rewatch is like this, this is really just two different movies that are just sort of like spliced together and you can absolutely ignore one layer when you're in whatever eighth grade or younger and As an adult, you're like, you are literally watching a different movie that also involves surviving the dinosaur onslaught conveniently. That's right. Which is, again, much shorter than I remember. That part is just so brief. (laughs) They're just, I remember them just like, like, that was the entire movie. And then, no, it's about parenthood.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, even just the setup right like the the way that the film, and just to get back to the to, to the point that you made or the the observation that you had earlier, Derek, about sort of just the grammar of a, of a sort of a Spielberg film, um just the narrative kind of beats here uh are really interesting because you know the first scene of the film, if I'm remembering correctly, the first scene of the film is this scene where you get everything right i mean uh by which I mean to say you get the thrills you get the, the sense of danger, right? But you don't actually get the dinosaur, yep, uh, you yep. get the sort of the hint of the dinosaur, you're teased, uh, and so you've got that wonderful hook there at the beginning that lets you know, no matter what's you know gonna happen for the next uh, little bit of time, don't worry, we've got dinosaurs, right? I mean, it's yeah. uh, and they're deadly, and you know, so 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 that hooks you in, and then you get introduced to these characters, you get introduced uh, to this you know uh, this uh, emotional tension that they've got about their futures, um, and then you've got just this nice, really slow reveal of. First, the fact that there are dinosaurs walking the earth, you get this nice description of sort of how they've come to uh, uh, to return to the planet, uh, and then you get this sort of the setup right uh, and then once all those pieces are kind of firmly in place, then it's not actually very long uh before right, you right. you're 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 sort of thrown into things right i mean uh they're on the tour the storm is coming you know that uh you know nedri uh wants to get off the island with the embryos uh the tension is there he makes his choices and suddenly dinosaurs everywhere right i mean it's just <laughs> yeah. it's just it's so tight yeah yeah
3: mhm mhm and i just um <clears throat> i love uh just to jump back to that opening scene for a second. Mm. Um, You know, for one thing, I love how it paralleled my, my own experience coming out of the movie theater as, you know, how old 14 year old kid um, Mm -hmm. where, you know, you, there's the rustling in the branches, and you see all the tense, nervous dudes with guns, and you're like, sure. "Oh shit, here comes a dinosaur!" And it's like, "Ah fuck, it's just a forklift." <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and exactly. You're like, it's oh shit, it's a forklift full of a dinosaur, <laughs> <laughs> and it eats a dude. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's just this beautiful. Um, uh, you know, it's. It, I've, I've, I'm, I'm struggling to think of like another good example, but that does feel Spielbergian to yes, me to have yes. that. That kind of that double fake out, where you know it's just like, oh, you th- you know, there's this beautiful sleight of hand where you think, the, you know, the you know, the one thing is happening. Oh, but it's actually the other thing. Oh, but it's actually the first thing after all. Uh, <laughs> that's right.
2: But I mean, you also have that as well. I mean, you have that as well later in the film with uh the the you know when when uh Nedry is trying to leave the island. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's completely downpour. There's this huge downpour, uh, and he makes his way into, uh, the enclosure that has the dinosaur whose name I can't Dilophosaurus. The Dilophosaurus. The Dilophosaurus, thank go. you very much, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, you have this, this moment of tension where you think, oh no, you know, he's, he's, you know, encountered this dinosaur, uh, it's gonna be bad. You see him try to get out of it. You think, okay, he's safe, right? Uh, he gets the toxic spit in his eyes, uh, he, you know, uh, sort of gets away. He's back into the safety of the jeep. Uh, and then the next thing you know, the dinosaur's in the jeep with him. And then you've got that wonderful shot kind of pulling back as you see the jeep start to shake and you realize what's happening inside this sort of fogged up, win- inside behind the fogged windows of the jeep. It's just, again, this this subversion of your expectations and then the confirmation of what you expected in a way that feels so emotionally satisfying even as you're you know horrified and delighted
3: mm-hmm. and that final shot of that sequence of the precious embryos sinking yeah. into the mud and yeah. just like i almost wish he had you get the sense that like he restrained himself from like you know having a, a, a slow wash of fake blood oh yeah i over was the... totally <laughs> like i was <laughs> like I was,
1: When that shot came up, I was literally being, I was like, I was waiting for that. And I was like, do I not just not remember that there's blood in the scene? Or like, I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, there isn't blood in the scene. That's weird. I was, yes, it was, it was, you know, that the grammatical expectation of that being there. Here's the thing that is, that was really different for me on the rewatch that like, I don't remember from uh, the first time at all is like how obviously fucking terrible of an idea it is like the idea of Jurassic Park to yeah. everyone except Hammond. Like
3: yeah.
1: the the guy who ends up, whatever his name is, Mr. Arnold is like the very first time he talks, he's like, we should, we should not be doing this. Like he's, <laughs> brought, he's brought in, he's brought in the lawyer who is very concerned about like the sort of safety of that kind of thing. And sure. Malcolm and Sattler and Grant. And like within seconds, they're like, Nope. This is yeah. this is not going to and like Hammond is trying to talk them into it. The only person who sort of changes his mind is the lawyer who's like who's immediately like, "Oh my god, we're going to make a fortune on this place mm-hmm. as soon as he sees yeah. the dinosaurs." But like it is just clearly clearly a bad idea and how and how little that registers to Hammond. Like if this is if this is a, a movie about parenthood, he's got his grandkids there with him in the park and They are off, like, the phone lines are down, the paddock electricity is down. He has no, like, people are out there looking for him, but he is eating ice cream with Dr. Sattler in the thing and talking about this fucking flea circus that he had started as a kid. And there's more commentary to be made about that, but I was just trying to understand, like, I'm like, yeah, (laughs) I can't tell if it's a really well-developed character and, like, this this, like, pathological self-obsession is part of that, which is which would be great. Or if it's really like a weekly written character, and this is completely psychologically unbelievable.
3: Hmm. I think uh, I would err on the side of uh, uh, it's a well-written example of uh, the degree to which uh, money and prestige insulates a person from consequences. Um, you know, and I, I actually, I loved that ice cream scene Mm -hmm. because it was like, this is a man who is used to being, he brought fucking dinosaurs back to life Yeah, and now he can't do a fucking thing except sit on his ass and eat ice cream because it's going to melt because the power's (laughs) out because everything just went to shit. And, you know, there's this, this, it's this beautiful, uh, comeuppance, um, you know, and, and, the wistfulness with which he's describing his humble origins. Um, yeah. you know, I, I thought there was really some, some actual pathos there. Sure. Um, mm. you know, and, um, you know, it's, this, this is a man who, uh, who is, he is a, a broken man in some, in some aspects. And the degree, what surprised me, what I didn't remember is they, what they finally, you know, escape after the uh if, if you'll pardon the expression the uh the deus rex machina uh, <laughs> finale sure yeah and they've reconvened it's still
2: satisfying to see though oh it's That's great it it's, I love it's it. just, I just it's completely yeah i
3: i, I just had to, that that pun has been rattling around my brain all <laughs> after, and i just was waiting to drop it um of course the uh I'm sure I'm not the first one, but, um, <laughs> but they get, they get in the Jeep to get to the helicopter and, um, <clears throat> Grant's, you know, kind of action hero, dry witticism is, uh, Dr. Uh, Mr. Hammond, I've, I've decided I, I do not w- wish to endorse your park. Yeah, and sure. he says, neither do I.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great. And then
3: they all, and then they all fly off in the helicopter together. I thought he died. Mm. I, I did not remember his character living. And I think that's because he died. He must've died in the book. I think he died in the book version, Um, but I, I did not remember that he lived, um, you know, and so to, you know, what is, what is, what, what greater, uh, comeuppance, what greater, uh, injury is there to, to the man of business, to the man of vision and then to see all of his dreams and to experience the limits of his ability to, to create, to, you know, bring something forth into this world. Um, sure, you know, and just that, that scene of him gazing into the Amber head of his walking stick, mm-hmm. which I don't think we'd ever seen before was, you know, a piece of Amber with the, you know, yeah. the, the mosquito in it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that there was this, uh, this kind of beautiful brokenness to, to, to that arc. Um, so long long story short I really did like the ice cream scene.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean I think I think that the character of Hammond is this really uh, just to echo what the two of you have said it's just a really interesting character. I mean just the um you know without being too uh without commenting too much on uh the state of things in the world right now. Um yeah, I was, <laughs> I was coming
1: back to that angle.
2: I mean, I mean I'm sure, you know, I, I I don't need to connect those dots for people, but just watching him, you know, this time around, I just thought to myself, what a, like just such arrogance, right? I mean, yeah. again, like the in, the way in which wealth can uh, wealth and, and power can insulate, um, just such arrogance to uh, you know uh, bring all of these uh, these creatures back to life, and it it's almost as though it didn't occur to him uh, that things could go this poorly. I mean, again. Uh, he's about a year away from opening the park uh, and, you know, effectively losing power to the park. I mean, of course, I know that Nedry, you know, has, uh, there's this sort of, pardon the pun, but a perfect storm has happened in which <laughs> there's a literal storm and Nedry has turned off some of the security features. But uh, you would expect that there would be, or at least I would expect that there would be redundancies uh, sure. when you're, I mean, there's a there's a literal T-Rex here. And, um you know, this guy's got uh, to to the point Derek made. This guy's got his grandkids out there uh, in a jeep that doesn't that doesn't have locks on the doors. It's just it's completely ridiculous, and um, and I love it for that reason because yeah. it gives such an insight into the arrogance of this person uh, and the way in which you know his desire to create. Um, sort of is 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 matched by his desire to control, and it doesn't occur to him that his creations cannot be controlled. You get that wonderful scene where he he's talking to uh, B.D. Wong's character, and he says, "You know, why didn't you tell me uh, that the uh, that the egg was going to hatch? I insist on being here. Right? Yeah, they, yeah. they imprint yeah. on me, and it helps them uh, to sort of to trust me more uh, later on. And I just thought, how arrogant could you be to think that you know?" Uh, uh, touching a, an, an egg at the moment of its hatching uh, is somehow going to create a velociraptor that'll be uh, receptive to your commands. It's just, it's, yeah, it's, for that reason, I just, I, I really enjoyed sort of thinking about Hammond's character and the choices that he made in this film.
1: I was stuck He's on that. also, uh, oh. Go ahead.
3: Sure, I'll well, I just, I can say briefly, um, you know, and, and to, you know, yes, absolutely arrogant, but also somehow not a shithead um yeah like he's yeah. not he you you i found myself like liking him you know yeah. in in a re, like you know just even the scene where at the beginning where he's introduced and he's sort of you know rum, rummaging around their trailer like he owns the place but with genuine charm and with genuine mm, sure. openness and you know you're just like okay you're clearly a big arrogant dick but you know kind of i kind of I like you i, I sure <laughs> you know there's some charm there yeah there's some charm and i think um you know maybe the you know i hope this doesn't go too far in connecting the dots to some of our current uh sure current circumstances <laughs> but like you know holy shit a rich guy with an imagination i know yeah what's where where is that that is missing you know all the rich guys these days do is like you know see who can get the biggest who can buy a bigger yacht yeah. uh yeah so here's somebody who's actually engaged, you know, he's or a character, you know, and maybe that's what makes it fiction is that he's <laughs> uh, exercising the powers of his imagination in order to create something that's not just, uh, you know, a, a grandiose version of uh, a clock with a radio centered into it.
1: So sure. and that's the thing, like this is the part that I find myself most interested in coming back on this rewatch. So like in that scene, when he's eating the melting ice cream across from Dr. Sadler, he's telling the story of his uh of his humble origins when he arrived from Scotland and he had this flea circus and he would charge admission and people would like insist that they could really see the fleas like operating this kind of thing. And he says the thing about it, he's like, I wanted I wanted something that wasn't an illusion. I wanted it to be real. And I'm thinking about like all of these books that have come out uh, mm. recently. Uh, Jonathan Levy has this great "Ages of American Capitalism," in which he has this whole chapter on what he calls "humbug," like the P. T. Barnum uh, mm. idea that like you just need to create illusions for people, and like you can like the illusion becomes real in this way. Ngai has uh, the theory of the gimmick, which just came out as well, which is like similarly oriented in that direction. And like, and it's hard for me to look at stuff like the collapse of FTX or something without like, without being like, sure. Like, which, like, are they both the same thing? Which is more dangerous? The idea that like, you're going to feed somebody a lie knowing that it's a lie and that they will buy this lie or that you want the lie to become true. And like that you Mm. want to create something new. That's not a lie, but that also, Will hunt you, <laughs> like that's the.
2: Yeah, but I, you know, even still, I mean, it's it's interesting, right? Because the character, I mean, so I know we're we're sort of you know uh, now, uh, opining about the choices that this character made, and maybe the character, you know, hasn't been written written so fully that we can that we can do this. But, I mean, imagine a version of this character who had, uh, you know, created the park with, you know the The herbivores right I mean just you 've just got the herbivorous uh, dinosaurs in the park, and sure, right I mean as a part of the scientific arm of this enterprise, you recognize that you 'll sometimes uh encounter dna from uh, from carnivorous dinosaurs, and then perhaps you know you you, you place those elsewhere uh, uh for study and for uh, uh you know for so forth but uh, the fact that he 's got them you know he 's got He's got the 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 goat that that's raised on the platform for uh, for the T Rex as though you can just kind of trot out the T Rex uh, for 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 the observers the visitors to the park. It just again it just it just smacks of uh, a certain expectation of control that I think yeah. you know uh, 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 Ian Malcolm's character is really you know just recognizes immediately right he like like on the on the helicopter just about he's 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 calling bullshit on this whole enterprise
1: and it's so nice like he's calling bullshit on the helicopter in a way that's very like very jeff goldblumy like ha 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 sure. and then he gets to the island he's like holy fuck you guys did it you like you really did this do yeah. you know you understand what is <laughs> happening what i love is that it's dr sat it's uh 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 yeah, it's Dr. Settler who gets to actually deliver the line. Ian Malcolm has so many good lines about the Mm. limits of science and stuff, and she's the one who gets to say to Hammond, uh you were never in control. That was the illusion. You know, Mm, like the most devastating statement of that uh whole
3: (laughs) (laughs) well and the the whole setup um (laughs) <laughs> that he's trying to you know get some uh you know an authoritative uh green green light you know stamp of approval on the safety and efficacy of the whole thing after a dude has been gruesomely eaten to death by freaking yeah. dinosaurs <laughs> you know yeah. like, maybe that was a sign maybe that was a sign that yeah. you know <laughs> if you keep going down this road more dudes are going to get gruesomely eaten to death by dinosaurs i don't know yeah
1: I love, so it's been a theme. I, yes, the whole set of up, Like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get a couple of paleontologists, a couple of dinosaur experts, and we're going to get Ian Malcolm, who is just described as sort of like an academic or an intellectual yeah. rock star, a mathematician is what he is. Yeah, and like he's, chaotician. What'd you say? Yeah. I, he, he's a chaotician. A chaotician, that's exactly <laughs> right. I like, honestly, watching this, I, one of the big themes on this podcast, I realize, is about like recognizing the way that uh, cultural products of like the 1990s then go on to sort of inform and shape the way that we experience stuff, and it was hard for me not to look backwards and be like, "Is this what Malcolm Gladwell thought he was going to do? Is that is that who he <laughs> was trying right. to be? <laughs> is that is that is that where we get a lot of the the stuff that they cover oh, on if books could kill?" You know? <laughs> That's so, interesting. Yeah. So that's that that was sort of uh, that was amazing to me. Like, but the idea that they just bring all these characters in and the, the, these characters, the people who are like most likely to be awed by what they will see and also the most mm. likely to be like. Wait, <laughs> you. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is not going to go the way that you think it is, is it, it's I mean, really incredible.
2: Yeah, no, it, it it just like the 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 you know the selection of these individuals is really interesting. I mean, on this rewatch, I was thinking about how odd I found it that you know Grant and Statler just they they just they don't know what's you know what's on the island, right? They um they're they're enticed by the promise of uh, additional grant funding, and let me say, as a child watching that scene completely over my head as an adult who was also a faculty member watching the scene. I was thinking, wow, three years of, of grant funding. That's wonderful. Right. Um, (laughs) but, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's right. That's right. Take me to this Island. Um, but, but it's interesting to think about the way in which that, that would not have been, uh, that would not have, have ruined the suspension of disbelief in 93 that these folks at the top of their field would be unaware of the fact, right? I mean, so they're at a dig site looking at dinosaur bones and there are literal dinosaurs walking the earth and they have no clue about it, right? I mean, the way that things happen nowadays, there would have been a build-up, there would have been a cover story on, you know, uh, know, on the fact that, you know, first that we're cloning animals and that we've uh, found out this new technique to extract DNA from uh, mosquitoes and amber. And and the fact that none of this is on their radar that they know of 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 of, of literally nothing until they're in that they're they're you know in the jeeps uh, uh looking out at the brachiosaurus uh, was just amazing and yeah.
1: like and even within the logic of the movie that doesn't quite like it's it's such a secret that like top scientists in the field don't know about it but clearly yeah competitive researchers know about it sure. who else is hiring right. nedry to like ex- like that's right people know it's not it, it's not like a tightly locked down secret so it's yeah. somewhere the chain of communication is broken <laughs> between like top scientists in the field. but yeah somebody in like one of the workers today would be like click with a little iphone and like and just <laughs> be, like, be like i'm not kidding this is a dinosaur seriously
2: <laughs> i mean there'd be there'd be websites and i know it was 93 but Nowadays, there'd be websites about dinosaur sightings. There'd be overhead footage. There would be, uh, you know, comparisons of the different types of dinosaurs. There'd be leaks. There'd be, uh, you know, there'd there'd just be so much information, right? I mean, uh, imagine, you know, yeah, I mean... You Know Disney makes a movie and you know about it like five years in yeah, advance, right? Yeah. Uh, there's no way that it would have been a secret, uh, that there are dinosaurs walking on the planet. That would have been but that but would have been a key
1: part of the promotion, in fact. That's right. In '93, you like you wouldn't have Facebook, you'd have to go to That's like right. your old sort of discussion boards like rec.leisure.holy shit, or whatever yeah. <laughs> in order to find yeah. this information,
2: <laughs> yeah. And you know, just getting back to the to what you said about the the you know the the characters here. I you know, um, the the character of of, of uh, uh, Ian Malcolm, um, s- like I didn't realize how little he had to do in this film in terms of the action until this rewatch. Because I mean, you know fairly early into the into the catastrophe of it all uh he gets sidelined right he he tries to take the heroic turn and this is also a really interesting sort of um uh in terms of the arc of the characters right he's this kind of um you know a little bit he's not a little bit very and I should also mention, on this rewatch, I was uh, seduced by his charm. I just thought, man, what a charming guy. I mean, uh, what's going on here? What am I feeling inside as I'm watching him charm uh, his way through the film? But, you know, it's exactly. yeah. It's just thinking, wow. Um, but, you know... He's just he's just so charming, so magnetic, and uh, you've got uh, Grant's character sort of uh, uh, doing this heroic thing of kind of uh, luring the T. Rex away from the kids, and then you see um, uh, uh, Ian Malcolm try to do the same, uh, but 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 not quite knowing exactly what to do and uh, discarding the flare, but continuing to run. The T-Rex follows him, knocks him down, and he's sidelined for most of the rest of the film, right? He's just sort of in recovery mode, Um, which is an interesting sort of commentary on, uh, you know, I I think the film sort of saying something about, uh, you know, true... uh, 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 true heroics or, um, you know, the real sort of uh, uh, the real masculine uh, sort of uh, figure in this film is not the uh, sort of showy figure, but it's the figure who can actually do the thing that is needed uh, for those uh, uh, in his care. Nothing mean, sexier not than the, steady not competence. The charming... <laughs> <Exactly>. what,
1: <Derek>? <laughs> <laughs> I just said nothing sexier than like steady competence.
2: That's right. I mean, well, you get that you get that also in the. Um, uh in the final scene of the of the film when they're all on the on the helicopter the kids are sort of uh hugged up against uh Grant and Sattler's looking at him and um you know it's 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 clear that she's sort of falling in love with him all over again uh for that very reason it's a very mm-hmm. amorous look uh, as he is providing care
3: and you know it's um <laughs> yeah the 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 man of of deeds uh, yep. wins out over the charming nihilist.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah weird. <laughs> Everybody loves a nihilist. And, Come on.
3: And you know, in, in, in terms of things that didn't uh didn't hit me in the same way when I was in eighth grade, um his sort of uh, uh throwaway line about I'm always on the look for the next uh yeah. you know yeah. former former Mrs. uh Mrs. Bousen, yeah like, what would it be like to be married to you? Uh,
2: <laughs> horrible, horrible. Chaos. I mean, so I was, I was thinking, yeah, chaos, that's right. I was thinking about what it would be like to be his colleague. I was thinking, you know, what, like, what kind of department does this guy work in? Uh, what is it like to be in a faculty meeting with him? Uh, no, thank you. Uh, you know, while I'm being charmed by him, I was thinking, I'm glad I don't work, uh, you know, in his department.
1: Exactly. <laughs> which is and the movie figured that out and we're like here's what's going to happen we're going to yeah. make him tourniquet <laughs> himself after like 10 minutes of screen time
2: that's right mm-hmm. that's right
3: yeah yeah and he serves very well as a sort of humbled greek chorus kind of a figure exactly
2: um, he still gets know, most
1: of his good lines after that i feel like like somebody like they're yeah. like should we move him and he's like please move me <laughs> as the <laughs> t-rex is coming back must go faster must go faster <laughs> it's great yeah
3: God, I hate being right.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> I, I hate being right all the time, I think is what he said. But so But you know, and that's but that yeah, kind of gets ahead. to the point of it for me is like yeah, it's like, okay, so you're right. So what? What did you mm. do with it? You know, yeah, yeah, you said some bullshit about a butterfly flapping its wings and you made dire predictions. And yet, uh mm. here we are. Like what's where does where does the rubber meet the road, Dr. Ian Malcolm?
1: Well, he did mm. with that one line conjure a terrible later movie into existence sure. by that same sure. title. Being <laughs> like, Ooh, let's take this philosophical idea and ruin it.
3: <laughs> mm, mm, fair.
1: But yes. What of, of all the uh lines that Dr. Ian Malcolm got to deliver in this movie, what what would you say is your favorite and why?
3: Well for me it's uh life uh Finds a way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, there's something that's so perfect about that delivery and just that a pregnant pause. Um again, it's a it's a much gifted uh scene. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know even in the typography of some of the, you know, some of the memes, they'll uh you know, they'll do interesting things with that uh. Mm-hmm. And I just mm-hmm. I'm not sure why, but that just speaks to me. I, it, I I just love that. Um and I you know, and I do um you know, working in the field in which I work, um, you know, healthcare in the in the hospital setting is this absolute uh, balance between, you know, a highly regimented, tightly controlled, uh, you know, set of protocols and procedures. You know, uh, you know the decision trees that uh, doctors you know, run through as they're doing diagnoses and uh, you know thinking about you know medicine. Uh, you know, there's there's just this incredible illusion of control, and mm. there's are so, um, you know. And then it's just like the wacky ass shit that happens that's inexplicable. Like, you know, even to the point of, um, you know, like you'd be in uh, interdisciplinary rounds and you're like, oh yeah, and you know, this patient's in for, uh, you know, pneumothorax and has got you know sort of remote history of blood cancer. Oh, and he's got that thing where his heart's backwards. And, you know, I, and I, I, I forget if I've used that that example before, but, you know, it's just like the interior of our bodies is this sort yeah. of unknowable horror scape that we have yeah. this illusion of uh the visible man where, mm. you know, every, every organ is color-coded and, and in its correct space. And it's just, it's so much more chaotic than that. Um, yeah. And so... I guess that's the long version of uh life uh finds a way it's like yeah it sure does and uh, not always in the ways that we would prefer but mm-hmm. you know, yeah. There is there is an indomitability to to that to that life force that in some ways uh you know I take faith from.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm. You know I mean just just very quickly uh building on that uh you know Andy there's the There's that scene that, and others have, of course, talked about this and sort of uh, remarked on it, but it just reminds me of that scene, again, at the, you know, when they're first getting to the island and they're experiencing a little bit of rough air and they're trying to buckle the seatbelts and uh, Grant has, you know, two uh, female-sided sort of... uh, Portions of the seatbelt, and he's struggling with it, and then eventually he just ties them ties them together uh, in this makeshift way that uh, uh, achieves the function uh, of the seatbelt. And so, you know, just as kind of again, just sort of as an introduction to one of the 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 enduring themes of the film, you know, that life uh, finds a way. uh, You just see him improvising, and you see the way in which uh, you know um, uh, uh, this system. Uh, that is that is engineered or or is purported to have been engineered uh, to 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 fulfill a particular task is just kind of you know it's just it 's just playing jazz right it 's just kind of uh figuring out uh what's going what 's going to take it from here to there uh, in a good way um but to, to answer the question about uh, uh, favorite lines i 'm actually going to uh, subvert the question and say that there's a line in this film that um that I think about. I think about it so often that I don't even think about it being in this film, because wow. I, I it just exists for me as this kind of just just statement. Um, and I caught myself uh, saying it today. So as a kid, my sister and I used to say this back and forth to one another. And uh, earlier today, we had lunch together, and I went to her office, picked her up. Uh, we were driving somewhere, and I you know had to turn a corner. Uh, and I said to her, before I turned the corner, I said, hold on to your butts, because... <laughs> Sam Jackson's delivery of hold on to your butts, for whatever reason, has just been one of these phrases that has just, uh, you know, recurred across my life. And in some ways, it's kind of a, uh, you know, if if I were the one sort of cutting the trailer for this film, it's certainly a line I would have included in the trailer because it just kind of just prepares you for the fact that you're about to see something uh, that you haven't seen before. So... Hold on to your butts is the, uh, is the phrase.
3: He doesn't even <laughs> utter it in a time of crisis. It's when they're
2: yeah, starting just, out on the road yeah, That's right. That's right. That's right. It's, <laughs> it's like, how it's did just you completely, know? Completely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like it is <laughs> insane that Sam Jackson's name has not come up in this discussion right. at all. He's like, this is back in yeah. like his, this is 93. So this is before yeah. Pulp Fiction, very importantly. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But like he plays this character a couple of times, like he doesn't have like he's got meaningful lines he has to do meaningful acting he's great in this movie it's not i i can't believe i'm gonna make this comparison but it's not unlike his role in like deep blue sea which is like which is also like scientist monster film like blah 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 but Mm -hmm. man pulp fiction changed everything for him in the best way also that is a film we've got to do on this podcast at some point oh Oh, yeah absolutely
3: Absolutely. Ooh Yeah. yeah he was you yeah, know this was when he was a character actor you know yeah, yeah right. he was one of those guys like you know you knew his face but mm-hmm. um you know and actually winston you you emailed earlier this week the the obituary for um oh what's the actor's name who uh played the psychiatrist silverman yeah actor silverman yeah. in the in the terminator movies another you know at I mean, somebody who just sort of remained a guy who was like, "Oh yeah, I've seen that guy before. What was he in?" Yeah, you know, just one of those sort of ubiquitous faces or presences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. and then you know, and now, uh, you know, Sam. I mean, Sam Jackson is just absolutely. You know, he's Nick Fury. I mean, he's, he's sure. Sure, he is an he is an eminence
2: sure and when you watch when you watch Jurassic Park i mean i could have, you could almost forget that he's in the film right like if someone were to say to you you know who's your favorite actor in Jurassic Park and 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 the response is uh you know uh, sam jackson you've got to pause for a moment to kind of think well was he in Jurassic Park? And, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly right. he's got this you know he I, it's, yeah he's got this wonderful uh, wonderful role as the kind of voice of reason on the side of um, you know, the park and facilities and so forth, uh, kind of a counterpoint to Nedry's character and in some ways a counterpoint to Hammond as well. But, um, yeah, just, just, yeah, a terrific, uh, terrific, terrific character. Uh, he's, he's, he's too brief, you know, his, his time in the film is too brief. Uh, when you, when you get that moment that, that Derek mentioned earlier with Laura Dern's character, uh, you know, kind of, um, uh, uh, relieved to, to, to see him only to discover that he's been killed off camera. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And I, I,
3: I will confess, I came, I came into this conversation ready to, uh, to bemoan that, you know, to, you know, to bemoan and bewail that fact of sure. you know, what an unfair end for, sure. you know, a great character and a great piece of acting. But yeah. then, uh, in, you know, one of the little, you know, news uh news nugget articles that i was reading uh in you know kind of a, a half-hearted stab at preparation for uh for this conversation i did read that um his off-screen death was necessitated by uh uh apparently there was a hurricane that kept him from okay. from, from from traveling to uh to that uh, uh to the shoot when they were when they were going to film his actual death scene so, oh, interesting! I, I, I was kind of relieved to see that, like, okay, this was, you know, because like, yes, this man deserved better than to end up as a, you know, severed prop arm, you know, <laughs> sure for a jump scare. Sure, yeah.
2: sure, sure, sure. Well, I, I I'd never heard that. It's interesting. Amazing. amazing. I well, Derek. I mean, yeah. What what's what's your favorite? Uh, Ian Ian Malcolm Malcolm line. Like
1: here, my actual confession on this uh, point is that I too am going to subvert my own question, (laughs) but not for any legitimately good reason. It's simply that like all of the Ian Malcolm lines have just now flown out of my head. So if I'm not going to say must go faster, must go faster, which is also great. I, I have to say that like my favorite line in this movie is that one, like the Dr. Sattler line that I had not remembered. You never had control that was mm. the illusion. So mm. much of the movie, I think, turns on that yeah. uh, on that question about and like again in in 1993, I just thought it was awesome. Now I am like in the process of like writing lectures for this like doctoral class on education reform, and I like and like so watching <laughs> <laughs> watching Jurassic Park weirdly through the lens of of people being like, ooh, but if we just like can goose teacher effectiveness yeah. this much, then like. Nineteen thousand more dollars in <laughs> fucking lifetime earnings 50 years from now i'm like yeah life finds a way <laughs> <Listen>. uh.
3: <laughs> so i um oh god so they got uh so I, I work uh as a chaplain in a hospital and i i'm in a, a leadership role and the chaplain department is kind of part of a larger department that includes social work and case management. And mm. as part of an effort to expedite uh, discharges and kind of improve productivity numbers, they've got, uh, you know, uh, lean management trained uh, business consultants coming in to uh, sure. dissect all of our actions for productivity. And I I could really go in a lot of I could go to a lot of places uh talking about the 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 dangers of of that lure of uh, the illusion of control the desire mm-hmm. for efficiency um but I I I I just will note that 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 strikes me in a personal place.
2: Sure. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. I bet I bet. Yeah. What
3: do you you know what what exactly happens when you try to uh streamline Uh, an ineffable personal spiritual connection into uh you know a productivity uh metric spreadsheet um yeah i remember like not pretty
1: there's a weird like i always sort of like i have this image it's weird how like the the people that i associate with this like uh, urge towards sort of model-based control all come from the same sort of educational background I mean I'm talking about like MBAs consultants mm-hmm. that sort of they're like I like it is always difficult for me to sort of imagine in the abstract who exactly these people are and like what their life experiences have been like I was at a I was at a conference um, relatively recently and only because like Uh, a friend of mine, Jay Plasman, was at this uh, conference and it was like hosted basically down the street from me. So I was like, I was at this sort of like uh, reception hosted by uh, a center-right think tank. And one of the guys who sort of operates there was just like, so this is like, it's mostly economists in this room, I feel like. And mm, so like one sure. of them, like one of the think tank guys would, would just like said to me in, in almost in passing, he's like, oh man, I remember like my like second year of like a master's program when I took like an econometrics class and suddenly I was like, oh my God, and the whole world just opened up. And I was like, oh, this explains so much. And I was like, no, buddy, this explains so much. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's, yeah, it was. a
2: Yeah. Episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, interesting that in the film, right. The, the lawyer is the first to die of the, (laughs) of the characters that we're in with, with whom we're somewhat intimate. Right. I mean, um, how? yeah. yeah. And you just get that, that iconic, uh, uh, death there on the toilet. I mean, my goodness. So yeah, the film does have something to say about the sort of, um, uh, yeah, unwaveringly business-minded uh, approach to uh, uh, yeah to it, the crisis. It's really interesting. It like also has now...
3: something to say about uh, cargo shorts. But... <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> like it's what's interesting to me is that like it was lawyers i mean and it was lawyers in the mid-90s i like we mm-hmm. have recently done independence day on this kind of thing it's sure. like there's that there's yeah. that little line where he's like where the guy's like oh, i gotta call my mother i gotta call my lawyer ah, forget my lawyer whatever it's just like yeah. it's just an unnecessary cheap shot and here like the mm-hmm. lawyer is the one like that like the the businessy model yeah. is in the lawyering profession whereas i think that would have that would move yeah. now or would have moved now
2: yeah Yeah. in 2023 it's a it's it's a different profession certainly right yeah yeah
3: so i um if if you all will will uh permit um there's sort of a question that's been rattling around in my brain as we've watched uh these last four movies and you know the one that you missed winston was of course 12 Mm. monkeys but you know they're all very much of a piece um of uh uh, I wish I could remember the guy's name so I could give proper citation. But um, a commenter on uh, uh, Jamel Bowie's Twitter feed uh, mm. lifted up movies at this time as uh, as being sort of uh, m- you know movies of the end of history. Yeah, you know, in, in mm-hmm. the Francis Fukuyama sense. Mm-hmm. And, sure. You know, this is we've talked about it before. This is you know the the the, the Cold War is over. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a sense that there's no you know, what are the enemies, what are, you know, what, what fills that vacuum. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I guess this is kind of a, a, akin to, um, uh, 12 monkeys and that there's a sort of a, a biological, uh, enemy mm-hmm. that that fills the vacuum or, mm-hmm. um, you know, or a hubris, you know, we are, we are victimized by our own hubris, um, mm-hmm how how do you how do each of you see that uh this movie in conversation with these other uh these other three movies the terminator the 12 monkeys and the um shoot what was the first one we t- we we
2: saw Uh matrix yes mm-hmm. yeah you know it's a great question yeah yeah right yeah no i mean it's it's, it's such a great question i mean i think that um part of what what and maybe this is me kind of coming back around to answering Derek's question uh, uh, by sticking to the syllabus, but, um, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Malcolm's got that line where uh, he says, you know, you didn't think to ask whether you should, right? You you were asking whether you could, you didn't think to ask whether you should. And I think that's such a a really interesting uh, note at a time where, you know, Previously, right, uh, the question was, what can we do? And this kind of marks a kind of a shift into what should we do? So the the sort of the the limitation being one of value, one of ethics, instead of one of uh, capacity uh, or technological uh, uh, savvy. I mean, because... You know they've created life here, right? They've 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 reversed an extinction, um, and so in many ways, I think the audience is meant to kind of wrestle with. Um, you know, here we are uh, in the you know getting right into the, the midst of the '90s. Uh, things are great; they're only going to get better. Um, spoiler alert: they get worse. But mm-hmm. uh, the, the the thought that things are just going to get better, and so you know we're not going to be bound by. Um, you know, feasibility. Uh, um, uh, but we, we, we need to kind of have checks on ourselves uh, that are ethical in nature. And so I think, you know, the film does try to offer something, uh, you know, for those of us approaching the end of history. Uh, namely, they tr- it tries to give us a sense of how we ought to self-govern um, uh, in the absence of nature governing us in the ways that it might have in previous generations.
1: Yeah. Uh huh. That's like I, I had not. This is this movie, I think, of the ones that we have watched, Um, I think is the least explicitly concerned with sort of end of history things. And I think that's partly because of who Steven Spielberg is as a director and a writer. He is like he's mm. he's so he's doing something that's just so continuous with uh Hollywood genres that it's like that it's much easier for me to see this movie in that light than in an end of history thing, but also like I think a great deal about this particular, like the end of the, this end of history frame is really quite explicitly the framing of this podcast in general and the search for new enemies, all that kind of stuff. So it's interesting to think of these four movies that we've done in that Mm. uh, context as well. Um, There's, there's, what I what I see as sort of like a a, un, a unifying concern among at least some of these is uh, the idea that something that in a, a world that is full of new possibilities in which human capacity or let's say like U.S. American capacity is for creation for whatever is practically limitless, we are still vulnerable to being laid low by threats that we not only don't anticipate but can't anticipate for one Mm. reason or another and so like in in true lies this becomes something like like prophetic in terms of like uh uh religious extremists to whom the u.s has done horrible things for uh generations etc coming back but like in none of the the futures that are sort of prophesied in the matrix and the terminator in whatever are like, look even implausible anymore. The idea that like, well, we're going to do something that looks cool and it's going to get out of hand. And, mm-hmm. uh, and <laughs> the next thing, you know, like we're all fucked. One of the, one of the crazy, like the thing about 12 monkeys in particular is that like a plague comes, but it's, Created in a lab. Oh my god, I can't believe mm. I yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. created in it's in the lab and it's deliberately released because of an ideological commitment to eradicating humanity because humanity is the problem of the earth. Uh, Has to deal with, and the thing that that has continued to stick with me since Andy, you and I had this conversation about this movie is is how incompletely that worked. The problem is that it like eliminated the problem from this dude's perspective is that it eliminated most of humanity, but not all of humanity. So you don't, you didn't do the thing that you wanted to do. You created a, a a different set of problems humanity still exists and you have no idea what like society is going to come back and do like it's going to come back and be like but there's absolutely no assurance that it's going to be better than what you uh than what you thought was possible that's
3: Mm -hmm. yeah i I feel like um and I, i just had to look this up to get the words right but there's a there's a way in which um the And, you know, and it's amazing to think that, you know, yeah, there were just um, uh, 30 years as there have been 30 years between this date and the the date of the release of Jurassic Park uh, 30 years prior uh, and a little bit more. John F. Kennedy was saying, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard because that yeah. goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one that we are unwilling to postpone, and one that we intend to win. Yeah. You know, that, where did that triumphalism go? Um, yeah. You know, and, and it's interesting to me that even in this point where, you know, four years after after the wall fell down, four years after, you know, the definitive uh, triumph over communism
1: mm-hmm.
3: we're we're entering this new phase of saying well, i guess there was some other shit going on too that uh, you know maybe we weren't <laughs> paying close attention to
1: this is where yeah. penny von eschen's work is so important her paradoxes of nostalgia the paradoxes of triumphalism that like i cannot mm-hmm. recommend this book strongly enough friend of the mm. pod is gonna come on at some point to uh talk about some movies broken arrow or something we're gonna do uh ah. something like that but like uh it, she, her analysis of this whole thing is great. The idea that like the Cold War ends in the Soviet because the Soviet Union collapses and the United States takes exactly the wrong lessons from this. I think it was Lech Walesa who said at a, at the time that like unless the U.S. recognizes unless the West recognizes its complicity in like the yeah. the problems of the Cold War, nothing is going to go well from here on out. That's not an exact mm. quote, but like,
3: uh, <laughs> it sounds better than the original poll. I'm sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but like, and that is so like the, the lesson that the United States did in fact take is like, we won because of like liberal democracy and our like military might and blah, 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 blah. When that had
3: capitalism, we won because of exactly, capitalism. exactly.
1: Yeah. And, and so like, we just need to steer into that. And like, we need to make sure that like the newly, formed Republic of Russia privatizes stuff as quickly as possible and mm. opens oh. itself up to foreign investment, blah, blah, blah. And so like uh, right. So learning <laughs> the wrong lessons uh, and then, but at the same time also in her book, there's there's a lot about sort of longing for the old Cold War order. And so I see a lot like I this will be like the eighth time we've used this word on the podcast, but a lot of these m- movies are grappling with a kind of Unintended consequence of some technological development uh, or like the uncontrollability of the whole myriad of factors that are involved in some attempt, intentional or not, to like do something. So I'm talking about chaos, period, like this is the new threat. It used to be like uh, an enemy that was constructed as equivalent but opposite to us structured this sort of... uh, bipolar world and now in the absence of that like we're we're suggesting that there's sort of a unipolar dominance and that is in fact the mission that's the wolfowitz doctrine to make sure that no new soviet Mm. union ever arises but like within that unipolar world suddenly there's just like all these like whack-a-mole threats and like the burden of trying to control a billion things at once Mm. that yes (laughs) yes (laughs) <laughs> well, we've we've been talking for quite some time so we could probably start wrapping up right about now
3: i think so i i have one final thought yes uh, do it but i can i, I also don't want to uh, no no
1: no i was just like there was a pause and i thought <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: so f- my my last thought um and i think what what distinguishes this movie for me and what uh uh where I kind of, uh, found myself loving it more even than I did as a, an awestruck, uh, uh, preteen, I guess I was an actual teen at that point, but, uh, where I found myself, um, uh, this movie, uh, reminded me, uh, and it's just come into my mind at this, in this moment, uh, reminded me of of the uh the famous Zen story about uh the tiger and the strawberries um, oh, sure yeah the story the, the story of you know the uh, a woman is out um, uh, you know is out in in the, in the in the wilderness uh you know collecting fruit or or you know doing what she will and uh, is beset by a tiger which chases after her and she runs and just as the tigers about to catch her. Uh, she comes to a cliff and, you know, scrabbling down the side of the cliff finds herself uh, uh, clinging to a root uh, that's, that's slowly pulling out of the cliff face. And uh, she'll certainly die. If, uh, if the root pulls up out of the cliff face, she'll certainly die. If she climbs back up the cliff and meets the tiger. And as she's hanging there perched between catastrophes, she notices a single berry growing out of, uh, growing out of the plant, uh, from which the roots uh, is protruding. Uh, and the story ends, uh, the, the berry tasted so sweet. Yeah. And the reason that pops into my mind is that as, uh, Alan Grant is kind of engaging in this sort of project of personal paternal development, uh, you know, with these two wayward children, um, after they've escaped being eaten by a Tyrannosaurus Rex, which you know is high on the list of many children's uh, you know kind of uh, nightmare <laughs> rosters, sure. um, there's this beautiful moment where they they sleep in a tree and they wake up the next the next day to uh, to this pastoral vision of this herd of Brachiosauruses uh, kind of wandering through the field, and then one comes and starts grazing from their tree, and and it's, you know, it's, it's repeated several other times that even in the midst of this potentially life ending catastrophe, there is still this inescapable experience of reverence and awe Mm. that uh, Alan Grant's character uh, embodies, you know, and in the logic of the film, he very well could have ended up Electrocuted by a ten thousand volt uh, security fence. He very sure. well could have been uh, messily devoured by velociraptors. He c- could have been crushed by a falling dinosaur skeleton. And yet, he still has space for that experience of awe, that experience of uh, of finding that stillness of, um, of of reverence in the midst of of this chaos. And and maybe that's mm. the missing piece of of the Jeff Goldblum theory. Is You know, you've, even in the chaos, there is still uh, there's still the capacity to draw meaning and order from what might seem meaningless.
1: In fact, that capacity, yeah. I'd say, or that experience of reverence and awe is the organizing is just an organizing principle by which chaos does like ceases to be chaos. And I'm like trying to describe or like phenomenologically our everyday sure. experience of living is <laughs> basically what I'm saying is like the threat of chaos is like occurs when that organizing thing falls away for whatever reason we talked about it we've talked about in earlier uh conversations the experience of the death of a child or something like that being being one of those things in which the yes. world loses its topography goes flat mm. it, it is the, the profound in addition to the sorrow is the disorientation i don't experience that or i don't think of that in terms of chaoticness but The the idea that anything could happen or anything could be meaningful and yet nothing is meaningful is related, maybe.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think just as we're as we're closing, just uh, final thoughts. I mean, uh, I think what you say, uh, Andy and and, and Derek, I mean, um, just remind me of the final scene again, the final scene of the film. Uh after they've they've made their departure, they've made their getaway, and uh Alan Grant, you know, has just been uh reappraised by uh by his partner um in this moment where he's sort of hugging the two children, and he uh looks out of the window and sees a flock of birds flying. A- after having had this sort of, you know, horrific experience with uh the older model, right? he sees what's possible right that they the evolution as he has evolved as a character right he's experienced this growth and life has once again right found a way and so it's i it, it, i i was struck by this kind of quiet moment there at the end of the film where you know he's reflecting on evolution he is representing a type of evolution a type of growth and uh we recognize that even amidst the chaos and the dysfunction uh the tragedy and the trauma uh, there's a possibility for uh possibility for growth possibility for the reemergence of order possibility for the development of uh something that had previously been eclipsed by um yeah, by, by limited powers, limited capacities. And so um, I, I thought it was an interesting interesting end, the sort of quiet end of the film. And I, I, I just, I'll just say very briefly, for whatever reason, I thought that there was more film to come. Like, like when I watched it on this rewatch, I thought, okay, then what happens when they get back to the mainland? Or uh, what's the next scene? And of course, there is no next scene. It's just them flying off into this very 90s sunset. Um, yeah. But yeah, Andy, jump in.
3: I I was just going to say, and not just any bird, but the pelican, which is famously, famously a Christian symbol of parental devotion and self-sacrifice Yeah, uh, as depicted with the the female pelican uh, tearing at her own flesh in order to produce blood to nurture her young.
2: That's right. That's right. That's right. Wow. Wow. What a film. (laughs) That is very
1: profound. My thought literally, as I was watching that last scene, I was like, wait, does like, a water dinosaur jump out of the water and eat one of those things. Am I am I mis- <laughs> Yes,
2: I think that's in the seek sequ- one of the sequels. There, I, yeah. so. I was. Just, I
1: was like, am I running things together? But I'm glad that you guys picked up on all of that. <laughs> this
2: <laughs> <great. laughs>
3: Winston. Should I should I see the sequels or should I leave my my experience kind of pure I, I and think, uh, undiluted? I think you
2: can. I think you can. uh I think you can leave them where they are. I, oh I, I don't. I don't think that they are essential viewing at all.
3: Um, i probably got enough Chris Pratt in my life.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think so.
1: I think so. And that is our show. A huge thank you, as usual, to Andy and Winston for taking the time to talk about this movie. As usual, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you listen, and do leave us a review as well. You can point out things we missed or mistakes we made through email at point10pod at gmail.com. We actually love to hear from our listeners we'll be back in a few weeks to talk about the 1999 Will Smith vehicle, Wild Wild West, which is a whole thing. Until then, I'm Derek Gottlieb. This is the Point 10 Podcast, and we will see you next time.